to hear your people sing. Hear your people sing. Jesus. Let's raise our hands together this morning. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and we praise you today, Lord. And we declare there is nobody like you. And we thank you, Jesus, for all that you are. But Lord, we want to tell you that we don't just love you because you do things for us. We love you because we love you. We love you because you first loved us, Lord. And we want to glorify and magnify your name today. We want to lift you up. And we thank you, Jesus, that you did say if you would be lifted up from the earth, you would draw all men unto you. And so Jesus, we know that every good thing we have does come from you, Lord, but we want to give you the praise. We want to give you the glory. And God, I ask that you would have your way in this service today. Speak to us, Lord. Tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. We want the truth. And we do know that you said in John eight thirty two that if we would know the truth, the truth would set us free. And so we thank you, Jesus, for the truth. We thank you for freedom. And we thank you that we are growing in our faith. We are growing in the Lord today. We love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. We declare it. And everybody here says, amen. Let's give the Lord some praise together today. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, you can make your way to your seats today and we're going to have a great time getting into the word of God. Amen. We've already had a pretty good time so far. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to the sermon yet, and we've already had church. That's a pretty good day right there. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. We are going to be this week on part six of a series we are doing for Sunday mornings called Grown Ups. And uh, we've had to take a couple of weeks off. Uh, I was out of town, and then we had a guest a few weeks ago. So I'm excited to be getting back into this today. But today's going to be part six of this series called Grown Ups. And what we are looking at, is spiritually growing up. And just like it's important for you to mature as a person and grow and and get past some of the things that you used to do, well, it's important for you to grow up spiritually as a Christian. And and, and so you can become everything that the Lord has called for you to be. I don't know about you, but hey, I'm not satisfied. I want more of Jesus. Who wants more of Jesus today? Amen. Who wants to be strong? in their faith than they were a year ago. Yeah, I'm looking to grow up. And, you know, uh, we're all hopefully a little bit further than we were, but we have not arrived yet. And I know every single one of us here, you could at least improve somewhere, right? You are, you aren't at perfection level just yet. And none of us will ever get there, but we are striving to be everything the Lord's called us to be. Now, if you need an outline for the message to follow along with, raise your hand. The ushers will get one to you and uh, you can kind of follow along with uh, with what we're talking about here today. 
But we've looked at a lot of things over the past five uh, messages from this series on how we can grow and mature spiritually. Now, today is going to be a very practical one uh, for us to talk about. And the title of it is this, is grown-ups, they know how to behave inside the house. Yeah, thank you for your holy silence. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one today. Just buckle up. We're going places, people. But we're talking about they know how to behave inside of the house. Now, do you remember when you were a kid and you'd come running inside from playing out outside, uh, playing out in the yard, and you were all hyped up and yelling and sweating and throwing things and, and having a good time and yelling, and your parents or your grandparents would say, use your inside voices. Anyone? You ever heard that phrase? Inside voices. And hey, that was a cool thing. You know, I mean, at the time I didn't appreciate it. I get it now. Or maybe, you know, you were throwing a ball or tackling your brothers. Uh, maybe you were like me and you were much stronger than your brothers. And so, you know, you'd have them in a headlock or something and your parents would be like, hey, don't do that inside the house. Take that outside. And at the time, You are completely dumbfounded. Why would they not want me throwing the football inside the house? I don't get that. Why don't they want me beating up my brothers inside the house? You didn't get it because you weren't mature. You didn't realize that, hey, it's okay to to punt the football in the yard, but inside you could break some things, right? And so part of growing up in the natural world is you realize that, hey, some things are okay out there, but they're not as okay inside of here. Now, I know this because I've been there and and, and I've learned a lot of this. Even as an adult, I used to practice my jump shot inside the house after we got married and my wife didn't appreciate that. And so I learned quickly to quit doing that. You know, hey, you know, you're growing up. It's, It's great. Everybody loves it. But I know this much. My kids all know that there is one particular bookshelf in my house, one particular picture in Pastor Katie and I's bedroom that if they ever break this picture, they're going to need to pray for divine intervention to save to save themselves from my wrath. Now, I don't have much wrath, but it's stored up for a very few special things. Now, this picture, they know this, and I, even when they have friends come over, some of the church kids here know that if they break this picture inside of Pastor Dave's house, it's not going to be a pleasant conversation. Why is that? It's very special to me. When Pastor Katie and I were 19, we got married. We went on a honeymoon to Cancun, Mexico, and I'm not much of an art appreciation guy, but there was this guy painting uh, pictures of the beach on the street and she was like let's let's have him paint a picture for us and I was like you know what let's do this I splurged I spent at the time what felt like a lot of money I really don't remember how much it was it was probably like 50 pesos or something but I spent it and I splurged and and it's on this ceramic and it could break easily but I've protected this picture for 19 years and I can't replace it. I don't know where this guy is at. I couldn't track him down to paint another one, but they know that this is sacred. It means a lot to me. And if you break it with a football, someone is going to pay the price and it'll be a very steep price. And on this same bookshelf, I have a collection of Bibles. I've got Bibles from the 1800s. They're you know, over 120, 130 years old. They're very special to me. I've got a Bible that Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave to the troops and 
World War II uh, before they shipped out FDR. And don't mess with that shelf. I can't replace these things. But hey, I've got a bunch of kids and I'm just saying we can make more kids. Come on, somebody. Amen. So praise God. Let's go. Let's go. Amen. I'm telling you. I don't blame me. I blame you for choosing to go to the weirdest church in town, but it's on, that's on you. You knew it when you came here. So as we're advancing through our grown up series, we're covering a, a wide range of topics. Uh, some of them may kind of seem like duh to you, things, things that you already know, you know, some of this stuff, but keep in mind, know it all that not everybody knows everything like you do, right? You know it all. We know that, but, but not everybody else does. And so one thing that not everybody just instantly knows is how to behave in church. And is it because they're bad and they're sinners? No, they were just never taught. And so today is a very practical sermon, very practical. I'm not, I don't think I'm going, you know, throwing the long ball theologically today. You know, uh, we're, I'm covering some very, uh, practical things that, that we need to know. Maybe you know or you don't know, but it's my job as a pastor to teach these things. And one of the things that I love most about our church and pastoring in the great state of California in general is this, is that most of the people here were not raised in church. And, and you're like, well, that doesn't, you know, why is that a good thing? Well, I, I love that part of ministry here because that means your hearts are very sincere and open to learning the Bible without preconceived traditions and ideas to break through. You're, you're here because you want to be here. You're not here because grandma's going to get mad at you and, you know, hit you over the head if you didn't go to church today. You're here of your own free will. And I absolutely love that about this church and about being in California. You know, I, I come from the Bible Belt, went to college in Oklahoma, and I love it there. It's a very godly and moral part of the country. But there's also a lot of traditions and a lot of uh, stiff legalism kind of sometimes that you got to work through. And so when it comes to church behavior, there seems to be two different categories that people fall into. One category is the stiff legalism where you aren't allowed to have any fun and they expect you to behave like you're at a funeral or you're in Marine Corps boot camp. Anybody been to those type of churches? I've been to those type of churches and I don't like those type of churches and most people don't and especially kids. And I will tell you that that is not the type of church that this is. We are not a everybody, every kid, boy, girl, everybody sit with your hands folded and act like you're 65, 70 years old and that you just got the worst news in the world and wear a scowl on your face. I don't like churches like that, and this isn't that type of a church. And as you can tell, depending on what type of a church you're from, we're slightly loud. You know, sometimes people come in, uh, I've had people come in from other churches, I'm like, man, it's so loud in here. I'm like, that's who we are, okay? I can't help it. I've got people in here that got delivered from being homeless and on drugs, and they were alcoholics, they hadn't their kids, you know, listen. They're going to shout for Jesus at church. I can't stop them, nor would I try. We are loud, and I don't apologize for that. I love it, and that's a part of uh, of who we are. Now, I was looking through our attendance records this week, and it came to my attention, I guess I knew this, that approximately, uh, well, I, about 40 to 46% of our attendance is children under the age of 18. 
That's insane. Yeah. (laughs) Amen. Now, most people, I looked at most of our services throughout the year, and on average, about 46%. Now, some people be like, oh, that's not good. I'm like, that's the best news I've heard all day. Amen? That, uh, and even a lot of churches, they won't even count kids in their attendance. And I'm like, hey, they're people too. You know, just because they're shorter than you are doesn't mean they're not a real person. They're learning about Jesus. I was talking to one pastor. He's like, yeah, but they can't pay tithes. Listen, here's the good news about preaching to kids and focusing on kids, they may not be able to, to pay you or to, to pay the church or cover their own way, but thank God when you take care of kids, Jesus is the one that pays you back for it. Amen. He's the one. He's like, hey, I'll take care of them. I'll make sure they've got enough. So I take a church of 300 kids. I'm fine with that. I don't care. I love kids. I was asking, uh, and I, listen, I love, the, I love everybody, but I love toddlers especially. And I feel like I get annoying to them. So, you know, I just, if you see me after church, usually I'm, you know, looking for, you know, the three and four year olds because they're cute and they're hilarious and I love them so much. And there's a whole bunch of them here. So Wednesday night, I went up to little Ava because she's just the cutest thing in the world. And I was like, Ava, just be honest with me. Do I annoy you sometimes? She said, no, Pastor Dave. There it is. There it is. That's the affirmation that I needed. Amen. I went, I went home skip and I do not annoy the little children like I thought that I did. So anyway, um, praise God. But here's the thing. When, a, when a 46% of your attendees are under the age of 18, they're going to make some noise. They're going to do some things. They're not going to sit there like a 60 year old and fold their hands on their laps. I, as the pastor here, don't expect them to do that and neither should you. Now, I'll say this. That's one category of church behavior is the old fuddy-duddies that, you know, look like they just ate a lemon and like... And then there's the other category uh, that of church behavior where there's just no reverence at all. No respect for God's house. Now, that's certainly not good either. You know, growing up in the, in the 90s, uh, in the Midwest, in the Bible Belt... Uh, there, there was a, some level of respect for churches, even amongst non-church people, that a lot of church people don't have in 2023. And so I believe the best way for any topic and any discussion, any category, is to find the balanced middle of the road on any category. I don't want to be irreverent and rude and disrespectful to God's house. You know, I don't want that. I also don't want it to be such a stiff and boring place where you can't even smile that nobody wants to be here. And so... Our job and our goal is to hit the bullseye, go down the middle of the road where we maintain the proper balance of both. Who thinks that sounds probably like the best idea on how we should behave in church? Amen. All right. And so, again, maybe I'm going to say some things that you're like, well, I've known that since I was a kid. Well, somebody else didn't. All right. And so we're trying to teach some things today. And that's part of what we're doing. Our goal for the entire year of 2023 is Colossians 2.7. We're letting our roots grow down into him. Amen. We are learning more about Jesus, learning more about the Bible, and we are growing spiritually this year. And so we are covering a lot of things. All right. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into the outline here. 
Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, so much for your word. I thank you for your house, Lord, and that we are able, we are allowed to come in here and worship you together. We're allowed to be a part of what you're doing, Lord, and we do not take that lightly. We do not take this for granted. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today and help us grow, Lord. We're looking to grow. We're looking to get stronger. We're looking to get better than we've ever been before. I pray that we would have that happen today in the name of Jesus. Can everybody say amen? Amen. All right. Number one is this on your outline. Number one is this, is that church right here, this is not God's physical address. We get that, but it is sacred and holy. So the church building is not God's physical address, but it is sacred and holy. And, you know, people tell you that, say things like, oh, we are the church, so we don't even need to go to church because we are the church. Well, that's, you know, a partial truth. Yes, we are the church, but you do still need to go to, go to church. Amen? And so people twist that statement. But all throughout the Bible, the church or the temple, as it was called in the Old Testament, is referred to as the house of the Lord, the house of God. Look all throughout the Psalms. Look all throughout the Old Testament. It's consistently referred to as the house of God or the house of the Lord. Now, just you can write this down. I'm not turning there. Acts 7 and verse 38, it says that God does not live in a house made with hands. You realize that, right? That this these four walls is not physically where God actually resides. He is seated in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the father in heaven and the Holy spirit lives on the inside of your heart. If you're a born again, Christian, you get that right. We've taught on that this year. We taught on the whole Trinity, but God doesn't physically live in this house. But listen, when all of us show up together, some powerful things happen and the presence of God is in the house. This is what we would call the house of the Lord. Now, there's a story from King David in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 7. You can start making your way there uh, about King David's level of respect for God and his level of respect for the house of God. That is absolutely incredible. So let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Amen. Who's excited to learn today? Amen. Yeah, and maybe it's a refresher, a reminder to you, but either way, listen, none of us know everything there is to know about any topic in the Bible. Have you learned that yet? That the time you think, like, man, I know a lot about this, you find out that there's a lot more you need to learn. And so 2 Samuel chapter 7, you hear the kids, aren't they having a good time? Amen. (laughs) Well, doesn't that bug you? No, I hope they get louder. (laughs) Second Samuel chapter seven, and we're going to look at verses one through two. And this is King David. He finally, he's conquered a bunch of places. He's fought a lot of wars. He finally sits down to take a breath and turn some TV on and maybe catch the game or relax or something as we would do in our day and age. But here it is. Second Samuel chapter seven, verses one and two. It says, when King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, 
I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. And this disturbed David. And you're like, well, well what's the ark of God? Well, didn't Noah get on the ark? No, there was Noah's ark. But then the Israelites, the Hebrew people, they had a thing called the ark of God, or uh, sometimes the, uh, it'll refer to it as the ark of the covenant. This was a chest that the Israelites carried with them everywhere. They carried it through the wilderness years. They carried it everywhere they went. It contained the two stone tablets from the Ten Commandments. Uh, it had some manna in it that God allowed them to preserve from their 40 years in the wilderness. And it had some other important things. It had Aaron's rod. Uh, but the most important thing it had is it contained the presence of God that was on the earth at that time. Now, at one point in time, you know this, we've studied this, that the Holy Spirit had not been poured out upon all flesh. That didn't happen until the book of Acts. And so God could, the Holy Spirit would come upon people, but not live inside of them. Now, as a New Testament Christian, what's some really good news is that the presence of God, the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you right now, this very day. Everywhere you go, you can have the presence of God. Now, that wasn't necessarily the case back then. And so David, he sits down in this luxurious mansion, this palace, and somebody would think like, man, this guy has got it going on, but he had such a heart for God. He said, how in the world can I sit here in a mansion and God's living outside in a tent in the yard? Wouldn't that bother you? Somebody? I mean, what, I mean, if that, if you were in the same, that should bother you. That the house of God at the moment was just a little tent in the side yard and here you are living in a palace and a mansion that should rub you the wrong way. And David was like, no, we got to do something. And so that very night, David's like, you know what? Go, go, listen, we're going to start making plans right now. We're going to build God the biggest and the best and the fanciest house that this world has ever seen. And David was a passionate man. But the Lord tells the prophet, no, David... He's not going to be the one to build God a house. And so skip down here to verses 12 and 13. This is the Lord speaking through Nathan the prophet. He says, for when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple, for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. Who knows which son that was that built the temple? Solomon. Solomon was King David's son that was chosen to complete the temple. And let me tell you, you can read about this later on your own time, but he did not cheap out. He built the most luxurious and incredible structure that the world had ever seen at that time. I mean, it was crazy if you study the details. I mean, gold floors and walls and, and, and it was just, it was 
it was insanely fancy. It was, it was crazy how much they put into it. One time I looked up what the modern day equivalent would be for what they spent on the temple back then. It was in the trillions in modern day money. It was, it was crazy. But these guys said, no, no, no. Hey, if my house costs, you know, $5 million for my mansion, God's house has to easily be a hundred times better than anything I've ever lived in. They went crazy with it and it was incredible. Now, there's a lot of people in modern times, uh, you know, it bothers them when a church is really nice or looks fancy, right? And you know people like that. I know it's none of you. But listen, these same people that get mad when a church has something nice have no problem at all with Caesar's palace. Or, you know, uh, I don't know all the names of but any of the casinos in Vegas, they've got no problem at all with them having fountains, diamond floors, gold walls. It doesn't bother them at all to lay the house of sin with gold. But if a church gets fancy carpet, like, they could have spent that money on the poor. Thank you, this section, I think I will. Let me simply... Listen... (laughs) They get really angry if a church, you know, again, we don't deal with this so much at our church, but I hear people say stuff like, they could have spent that on the poor. How dare them do something like that? And I'm like, here's my, you know, sure, you could probably take that angle, whatever. But here's the problem. Everybody I've ever heard says that, say dumb things like that. Don't give a dime to the poor themselves. Check it. Listen. Anytime somebody says something dumb, well, the, you know, the church or the ministry could spend that on poor people. How much have you given to the poor this year? Because our, you know, this church cuts a couple of big checks every single month to help the poor in Barstow and uh, uh, India and Nepal and all over the world. We're, hey, listen, yeah. How much have these people given? In fact, one time Judas, you guys remember Judas, good old Judas? He's really good company to keep, by the way. And so one time he was complaining because people were giving a bunch of money to Jesus. And he was like, hey, this could, why are they giving it to Jesus? This could be used for the poor. And, and the scripture says it wasn't that he cared for the poor. He just liked to siphon off money out of the back end himself. And he knew if it went directly to Jesus, he wouldn't get any, he couldn't steal any of it. And so Judas didn't care about the poor. He didn't care about that. He just didn't want it going to some holy things sometimes. And usually somebody that's going to complain about a church, you know, doing something nice or whatever. It's usually not because they actually care about the poor. They're just greedy and stingy and have a bad spirit about them. Amen. That was free. Uh, you know, that was just, I'm giving that to you to do, do with that what you may. Anyways, we'll move, we'll move forward here. So this may not be God's physical address. All right. We get that. But when we all show up together, he shows up in a special way that you will not experience anywhere else. I was worshiping God down there just a few minutes ago and the feeling, the presence of God, even on me, uh, I, I can't get that at home. You know, I, I can get some special things from God at home. Personally, you, you know, I like to go out to the woods by myself with nobody. I connect with God in a very special way to me out in the woods when I've got the chipmunks and squirrels and, you know, little critters. I you know we have a great time together. I love it. And I connect with God in a very special way out there. But I got to say, 
it's an even more special. I get something different when I'm at church with a whole family of born-again Christians that all have the Spirit of God on the inside of them. And Amen? And as my teenagers always put it to me, it just hits different, Dad. <laughs> you know, when I'm here, it's just different than when I'm by myself or when I'm praising God on the radio or something like that. You can't replace this. Go ahead and try. But you can't remanufacture something that God has ordained from before the beginning of the world. Amen. And so if we are going to uh, behave properly for the house of God, we realize that this isn't, you know, exactly where God lives, but it is sacred and it is holy. And that's why we do some holy things here. We take communion. We do weddings here. That's a holy covenant between two people and God. That's a holy thing. Uh, uh, we, we baptize people here. We do funerals here. We pray for the sick here. We, we pray for deliverance here. We fill these altars with people seeking after God. And I can't do all of that necessarily in my bedroom or on my couch on YouTube. And I can do some very special things there, but it is not the same as being in the house of God. And there's no other way around that. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord some praise. You can go ahead and do that. You know, don't play patty cake. Give God some praise. Amen. All right. And so number two, let's go to number two. All right. Number two is this. We all have contributions to make to the house. Speaking of church, we all have contributions to make to the house, to God's house. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And this... A passage right here is maybe you've heard this phrase called the fivefold ministry. Well, this is the passage. These are the verses that tell you what the fivefold ministry is. And so we're going to see that, but then we're going to see that every Christian has a major role to play in the kingdom of God and in the house of God. So Ephesians 4. Starting at verse 11, it says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Do you want to know what the gifts are that Christ gave to the church? It says the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. So that's five different full-time public speaking ministries right there. And he says that's gifts that Christ gave to the church. Well, what are they even there for? Look at verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. What are we even talking about? We're talking about growing up. We're talking about getting mature in the Lord. Who wants to mature in the Lord? Amen. All right. It says they'll be measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children, like little kids. We won't be 
tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching or doctrine. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Now, that's a good phrase. That's a good thing for some of y'all to underline and highlight right there. Amen. Because some people, they're really mean, but they say, hey, I just speak the truth. Yes, you should speak the truth, but in love. Nobody likes a jerk that speaks the truth and they're not going to listen to you. Amen. That's for somebody. Let's go. All right. That's okay. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. I want to be more and more like Christ. He's the head of his body, the church. Now, here's what I'm getting to. Verse 16. He makes the whole body fit together Perfectly, As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That sounds like a wonderful church to go to right there. It is healthy, it is growing, and it is full of love. Now, there's several key phrases right here in these verses, but specifically, I, I noticed that the words mature and immature are found in there. And uh, the word growing are all found in this passage. And so these are some key phrases that we need to learn as we are growing in the Lord. So verse 16, look at this. It says, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So I'm telling you this, that as your pastor, I have a role to play in helping the congregation members grow. But so do you. I mean, I thought somebody would enjoy that somewhere, but I'm going to say it again so they hear it. Listen, that I have a role to play in helping the congregation grow in the Lord and in their faith, but it's not only me. It's all of you too, because as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. Did somebody hear that today? And so the King James says it this way. It says, uh, it says, every joint supplies everybody in here. You are a joint. You are a part of the body of Christ. I'm just going to maybe for some of you, this is going to be a, an earth shaking, brand new, heavy, revy from heaven. I want you to hear it. Have you ever thought about the fact that the preacher and the singers aren't the only ones that should be contributing to the service? Some of you get that. Some of you are staring at me like I just, you know, showed you a unicorn or something. You know, listen, no, I'm, I'm being very real. And so everybody should be contributing to the church service. So next time you go home and think, well, I didn't get anything out of church today. Maybe God should tell you, well, they didn't get anything out of you either. I'm just saying, hey, yeah, I need to drop the mic, but it's a, it's a clip on, so I won't, but no, listen, seriously, how come everybody else is responsible for pumping you up, encouraging you and blah, 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 but you have no obligation at all to anybody else. 
we're just talking about how we behave inside the house today. None of this is mean. This is helping us grow in the Lord. And so the next time you're tempted to go home and say, man, I got nothing out of that. Maybe you should reflect on, well, what did I dish out today? What did I do for anybody else at church today? Now, if you only come to church for what you can get, but not what you can give, you aren't doing it right. You're only obeying 50% of the, of the job right there. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say at least half of showing up is so you can get built up and encouraged and grow in the Lord. So yeah, I would say that's ha- at least half of it right there is showing up to church for what you can get out of it. But I would say that another 50% is what you can do for the Lord and what you can do for other people at church. Now, when we all come together and give of our faith and our love, our time, and even our finances, watch what God can do. On Wednesday night, I somehow hit on this, I didn't mean to, but we talked about how coming to church, all right, you at least have a minimal duty. This is the bare minimal to smile and say hi to the other people. I don't think that's asking too much. Personally, I don't think that's asking a lot. Uh, I'm not a people person by nature. I am not outgoing. You know, you may not believe me, but I'm really not. But I have forced myself to become a people person. And now I, I love it. But it wasn't a natural thing for me. And you're like, yeah, well, yeah, but that's you. No, listen, we're all called to support and contribute when we come in. Now, some people, they're going to serve in nursery. They're going to serve in children's church. They're going to vacuum the floors. They're going to do all sorts of things. And I, that's awesome. And everybody should do some level of, of that. But if you don't do any of that, the bare minimum contribution should be that you could come in and Pat someone on the back and, hey, a pal, how you doing? How's it going? You know, if nothing else, that, I mean, this is bare minimum level stuff, but I believe that we're all called to do a little bit of this. And so you need to make some level of effort to meet your fellow church members. Nothing shocks me or hurts me more than to find out that somebody from this section has been going to church with somebody in this section for five years and they don't know each other's names. I'm like, how is that possible? I don't even get that. And, 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 you know, we're pretty good about that these days, but seriously, you ought to know who's in your family. Isn't it weird? You ever been to the family reunion and someone just shows up and they're scooping food out and everyone's like, who is that? We don't even know who that is. Like chances are, it's just a stranger that wanted a free meal. And we're fine with that in my family. But at the same time, you ought to know who's in the family with you. I believe that. And, you know, we are so big on this. We literally carve out five minutes of every Sunday morning and give it a cute little name called meet and greet time. Literally for you to go meet and greet other people. Why do we do that? Because we need each other. You ought to meet some, you ought to know some people, man. Come on. You ought to know the people that you're in the same family with. And I just don't buy the excuse that, well, I'm not a people person. Well, you need to make yourself do some things you're uncomfortable doing. Well, why would I do that? It's called growing. It's called growing up. 
You know, there's things that as a grown up, there's some mornings that you don't feel like getting up and going to work at all, but you force yourself to do it. Why? Because you're an adult now. You don't even have that option, right? So you force yourself to do the right thing, even when you don't want to. And so I'm telling you as a church and overall, I would say we're very, very good at this, but I'm just throwing it out there for whoever needs it. You need to smile and talk to your family when you come to church. Well, I don't get anything out of it. You selfish little... They get something out of it. I don't do anything for me. What if it does something for her? What if it does something for him and you don't even know about it, but they needed a little extra love today and you were the one that just gave them a pat on the back, a fist bump, a nice... Hug, and it, it did something for them that I didn't do that day or somebody else didn't do. And so never again use the phrase at church about, well, I just don't do nothing for me. Get over yourself and think about somebody else for once in your life. I'll bet when Jesus was getting nailed to the cross, he was probably like, man, this doesn't do anything for me. This isn't my favorite. But he was thinking about you. Amen. And I love people like that, that think about others. And so everybody here has something to contribute. Everybody. And it's part of growing up and being a healthy Christian is being productive and contributing. You're not a healthy adult if you don't contribute to the rest of society. You know, maybe contrary to popular belief, but you should contribute something else to your community, to society. You should do something. That's just that. I mean, that's not even you don't even get the Medal of Honor for that. That's just what we call being an adult, like being a normal person. Right. And so it's the same way in the house of God. And when we all come together and give of our faith, our love, our time, whatever, it does something for everybody else. Your presence adds to the church, especially if you're a nice person. It really adds to the church. Your faith adds something to the church. And this is why we still do altar calls and pray for people at the end of all of our services. Not every church does this still. And sometimes people come and they're surprised that literally we still have a prayer team up here, just like churches used to do back in the day. We will lay hands and talk to every person that wants to come up for prayer. And most, you know, this isn't a knock on anybody, but most of my friends, churches and stuff like that, they've got a little prayer request box in the lobby. You can fill a card out and toss it in the box and that's fun. Uh, or you can slip your hand up for an unspoken prayer request. I don't believe in those, but anyway, you know, you slip your hand up and, and, uh, and, and, you know, that's, you know, that's cute and that's fine, but we take altar ministry very, very seriously here. Why do we do that when we could just, you know, do it some other way? Well, we want to pray with you personally, but one of the big reasons we do this is we're counting on the rest of your family to have your back and be praying for you while the person up here is also praying for you. Why? They've got something to contribute. This is a house of faith. Amen. And so one thing we need to work on at HDWC is more respect at altar time. 
family meeting. <laughs> That's just something we need to work on and get better at. Uh, you know, some weeks when I when I end the sermon, some some of you go and look for your friends and start talking. I'm not, you know, making fun of anybody. I'm, I'm just trying to help people grow today. You shouldn't do that. That's disrespectful. There's some of you pull your phones out and start looking at your Instagram videos. And that, you know, hey, love it, but don't, you know, don't do it right then. Amen? Well, how do you know that? Do you realize that I'm now approximately four feet higher than I used to be like a year ago? I see things I didn't see before. It's incredible. Amen. And so, you know, I, we see, I see this stuff and, uh, so other people, they bolt for the door. As soon as we hit, as soon as I say my final amen to the sermon, I finish point three, they zip out the door. Well, what's the deal? That's disrespectful and it's irreverent. And someone may say, Hey, I got what I need and I'm good to go. Well, now is your time to help others get what they need because it's not all about you. It's not. And it's certainly not all about me. We're a family and we should be helping each other receive from the Lord. And so whenever the preacher's up here giving an altar call, you as a mature Christian should be praying that the Holy Spirit is working on people's hearts and that they're going to respond and receive Jesus today. Amen. One of my main mentors, Pastor Gerald Brooks in Plano, Texas, he says that he's trained his congregation for decades now that the most important three minutes of the service is at the end when he's giving the altar call. Why? Because that is the moment of decision. And so he says he's trained his church members. As soon as he goes into that altar call, they all, he's got 5,000 people, but they all start praying immediately, quietly for God to reach these people that he's, that, that are, that are there. There, Joel, the book, the prophet Joel put it this way. He said, thousands and thousands are in the valley of decision. And it is there that the great day of the Lord will arrive. So there's some people that are on the fence. Do I go ahead and give my life to Jesus or do I stay out here? They're, 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 they're being torn and pulled two ways. They're in the valley of decision. And as we're here, God, even in this service, there's people in here today that the Holy Spirit is saying, receive me today. Just take the jump. Just, just make the decision. And what if when we're given that altar call and they're this close to making that step, you got to pull out your phone and look at, you know, your TikTok. I'm not judging you, but God is. Ooh, ooh, yeah. 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 Well, I'll stand before God someday. Or you're like, you know what? I've, I've got to go. I mean, you know, we got to get over there to KFC or, you know, whatever the case is. I don't know. But listen, that's, that's not right, man. Even if you got what you needed today, good for you. Now start praying that everybody else does too. Is that mean? Is that legalism? No, man. It's called growing up. It's called being a mature Christian. And that's what we just read in Ephesians chapter 4. It says that the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, their job is to help you mature so you can be everything that God wants you to be. And so we're learning a little bit today on how you behave inside the house. Now out there, what do we do? We throw the football. The kids will probably be throwing it after service. We, you know, we, we wrestle and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take any, you know, challengers today. Amen. No, I'm, I'm not. But you know, we, we act a certain way out there as long as it's not unholy and sinful, you know, go watch your videos, have a good time with it. No, no complaints here, but inside the house, when people are in the valley of decision, when people are receiving, 
we act a different way. Is it because we're old fuddy-duddies? No. No, it's because we care about people's eternal soul. And I want people going to heaven and not hell. Because I know they're both real. Amen? All right. Let's move on to number three. And then, you know, we can kind of wind things down. Are you still glad you came today? Amen? You're, you're learning a little bit of something? Amen? And so we're going to look at... A few ways, in fact, I think it's seven if I did my alphabet right, um, that <laughs> ways that we can respect God's house. Now, there's a lot of ways, all right? There's hundreds more. These are just some very practical ways that we can respect the house of God. And uh, anyway, so hey, let's go. I'm not going to turn to all these verses. I just put them there for reference. But one massive way is, hey, just show up, right? Just show up. You know, it stinks when you cook a meal for every, you know, a big meal for the whole family and then they don't show up because they didn't value it enough. And then so, you know, hey, just show up, man. That That's at least one big way to respect the house of God. Hebrews 10.25, it says, don't forsake the assembling of the saints or don't neglect your church meetings as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That's Hebrews 10.25. And so it tells us to not neglect meeting together. I, I just, this came to me Wednesday night also, uh, but we've got a guy that comes to church on Sunday nights here. He came Wednesday night too, but so a lot of you don't know him, but his name is Ernest. He's nearly 80 years old. He lives in Victorville down there uh, by the, anyway, I don't need to tell you where he lives, but he lives in Victorville. <laughs> Why would I do that? Oh, uh, I'm growing up still. I'm learning some things, but anyway, I know where he lives. And so he lives, you know, like 40 minutes away, but he comes to church here nearly 80 years old every Sunday night. And he goes to a, he, he goes to a church down there in, in uh, Victorville also on Sunday mornings that he's a member of. But hey, those of you that know Ernest, does he ever miss Sunday night ever? No, never. He's always here. And, and so here's the thing about Ernest. Ernest loves being at church. He just loves being in the house of God. And when COVID hit, he, you know, uh, they, his church, like, you know, every church, they went online and he was like, I can't, I can't do this. It's not the same. I, you know, I, it's just not the same. And so Ernest, he didn't know that we stayed open during COVID. All he knew was he heard of a church, <clears throat> excuse me. I think it was Bullhead City uh, in Arizona. And so he drove every Sunday for like a year, every Sunday morning, four hours, we're talking about from Victorville, four hours or so from Victorville to Bullhead City. And then he would go to church for an hour and a half, turn around and drive four hours back home. Isn't that insane? And then a while, last summer he was driving um, up on the 15 and he's driving back and uh, not from Bullhead, he was doing something else. And he sees a lit up cross on the side of the 15 freeway. He's like, wait, is that a church? And so he pulls in here and just wanders in. He's already got his Bible and arm and everything and he's never missed since then. Why? This guy values being in the house. Well, I was talking to him more, and this is just an interesting side note. He doesn't mind me sharing this. Ernest is nearly 80 years old. He grew up in Washington, D.C., like back in the 40s. He's an African-American man, and the church that his family went to wouldn't let his family sit with the rest of the congregation. Can you believe that? 
but they still went to church every single Sunday. Never missed. I'm like, I can't, I don't know if I would keep going to that church, to be honest with you. I'd probably find a different one somewhere. But they felt like that was their church. And I'm like, God forgive me if I ever make some lame excuse as to why I can't show up at church. If Ernest and his family back in the 40s could deal with that and still go, overlook that somehow and still go to church. If Ernest could at nearly 80 years old drive eight hours round trip every week just to open the doors and get inside of a church, God have mercy on my soul and on my behind if I come up with some stupid lame excuse that I cannot be in the house of God. Is that judgmental? No, I'm just saying it. And I got to always throw this caveat out there. Are you pushing for higher attendance, Pastor Dave? Nope. I'm not got the best attendance we ever had. I'm not doing that. I'm pushing for Christians to have such a value and respect for the house of God that they want to be inside the house with the rest of the family. Even if it doesn't really, you know, ring their bell, it does something for other people when you're here. Can somebody say amen today? Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to have to push the pedal down here and move a little faster. Amen. Here, Oh, here's a fun one. I like this one. This is a good one. Amen. B, be nice to his other kids. Woo! Amen. Now I'm going to hit on this in future weeks, so heads up. But uh, be nice to his other kids. Now, this isn't just avoiding being mean, but actively being kind to the other kids, right? Because you're born again. You're one of God's children, right? Reference John 13, 35. Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And so people don't necessarily know you're a Christian because you go to church. They know you're a Christian because you're nice to other people and other Christians specifically. All right. Here's a fun one. Uh, now listen, you, again, these may seem like common sense to you. They're not common sense to everybody. That's why I'm saying it. And I'm not being mean. This is to educate. Uh, C, don't use foul or inappropriate language. Amen. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, truth be told, you, you shouldn't be using foul or inappropriate language anywhere. But I've just found out that some people don't understand that you especially shouldn't curse inside of the church building or at the altar or at the pastor (laughs) or at anybody. I've seen it all. I've seen it all. And so, uh, you know, that's just, again, well, what do you base that belief off of? There it is, Ephesians 4.29. Look it up on your own time. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. I'm not even going to add to that because I was so good. Amen. What else can I say? D, letter D. Here's one that, again, I'd like to see some improvement upon amongst us is we respect communion, prayer, and worship time. We respect communion, worship, and prayer time. Now, hey, we laugh a lot. We joke a lot. We do some silly and stupid things around here, you know, including me. But there's one thing I don't do, and I don't want to disrespect communion, prayer, or worship time. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11.27, you know, tells us that if we disrespect communion, we are dishonoring the body and blood of the Lord, and we bring God's judgment upon ourselves. And so that concerns me, and I don't want that to happen to anybody. Letter E. Let's go. Letter E. Another way. 
way you could respect God's house is help out with the chores. It wasn't supposed to get that quiet. That was one of those. I at least give me a little something. All right, read it, read it, read it, read it. Okay, letter E. You help out with the chores. All right. So you could serve in an area, or if you see something like trash on the ground, you don't go, man, does anybody care about things around here? Do you? Bend down, pick it up, walk to the trash can. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's a, yeah. I don't know where to go from there. Go Jesus. Yeah. All right. Ephesians 4.16, tag that on there. All right, F, let's go to letter F. Here, oh, yeah, I forget about this one. Dress appropriately. We could dress appropriately. Amen? Amen? Yeah, you know. Well, you're judgmental. No, I, no I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. I just, I read the Bible. And um, and so 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 10 speaks about how we should dress appropriately and modestly. Does that mean a suit and tie every Sunday? No, it doesn't mean that. Does that mean, you know, no, no, no. It's talking about uh, dressing respectfully, modestly. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, it just means that we dress nicely as if someone important like God or somebody like that was going to be here. I don't know. Hopefully you caught the undertone sarcasm in that. But all right. But I'll, I'll say this as we start to close things out here. Listen, in everything we do at church, we don't want to be a distraction from people receiving from God. We want to be a help to people receiving from God. And I've learned this much in my time on earth. You never know what somebody else is going through. You never know. Someone could be very not themselves that day or or whatever. And if you're immature, you blow up and you get offended and you act like a little baby and how dare them. But if you're mature, you stop and say, wait, something's going on right there. They are, they're not usually like that. But on top of that, especially when you don't know everybody in the church or in the room, there may be people here in desperation.